from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Welcome in, everybody, to a New Year's edition of the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by the managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. Taylor, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Chip. How was your uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and everything? It was great. It was great. What, uh, what crazy games we had on New Year's Eve. TCU, folks, TCU is going to play for the national championship against Georgia. Yeah. And Sonny Dykes. I mean, can we give some love to Gary Patterson? Yes. Okay. Yes, for sure. Because Sonny Dykes getting all the praise is like he inherited Gary Patterson's work. (laughs) He inherited a a team full of well-coached, well-cultured players. He added a few from the portal, Johnny Hodges and Mark Perry, the safety, and Josh Newton, uh, the cornerback. Those guys have all been fantastic. But the bulk of that roster was recruited by Gary Patterson. And mm-hmm. and Gary told me before the season, he's like, TCU is going to be pretty good. So, um, you know, kudos to Gary Patterson for for building that roster. It's uh, it's a shame he's he's not getting to you know, to coach that team in the national championship game. But uh, he does deserve credit for building that roster. And what a crazy, crazy game that was. Um, I, 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 I don't even know where to, to turn. It's been, it's been a crazy bunch of games. I mean, we just had Tulane come back and beat USC <laughs> in the Cotton Bowl. Yep. You know, if you get left out of the playoff, and you end up playing against the at-large team, typically the best group of five team in in college football, uh, you got to really fight to stay connected in that game because uh, the other team you know wants a piece of you, and Tulane definitely wanted a piece of USC, and they got it in the end, which is just bonkers. But uh, how was your new year? It was good. I will say one thing about the Tulane and USC game. It was it was kind of eerily reminiscent of the Tulane and Oklahoma season opener in 2021 that Lincoln Riley was coaching Oklahoma at the time and they almost lost cuz they came back I think from I think it was like 22 to 40 and then the game ended up 40 to 35. OU ended up winning. And it was kind of like a part of me was watching that. I was kind of like rooting for Tulane because I was just like, oh, get your revenge, get your revenge on Lincoln Riley, <laughs> you know, because they were so close in 2021 to beating Oklahoma when he was the head coach. Um, that year they finished two and Ted. That's a story in itself that they turned that program around. But yeah, the TCU game was was crazy. It was um if if you're a Texas fan and you watched that game, I hope you walked away from it being like, damn. Texas defense was pretty damn good this year that they were able to hold that TCU team to what 17 points. And, uh, you know, I mean, 
Michigan's what one of the the top defenses statistically in college football, and they just you know it was a shootout. It was absolutely a shootout. So if you're a Texas fan and you don't recognize how good Texas defense was, rewatch that game between uh, TCU and Michigan, and that that will tell the story entirely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you look at this whole college football season and you say, man, we're not that far off. I mean, if you're a Texas fan, you you saw TCU go from five and seven to the national championship game. Uh, it can happen, folks. We saw, um, you know, big time turnarounds this year in college football and um, heck, Kansas State. I mean, the list goes on and on. It it can happen. And so yeah. the progress that Texas made this year uh, leads you to believe uh, with a little bit uh, more growth and development at the quarterback position, a little bit more consistency from the offensive side of the football. And and let's see. Let's see what, uh, what Texas can get done in, in 2023. But before we um, get into all of that and the fact that early enrollees, 16 of them will be arriving on campus next week. Taylor, uh, we do need to pay um, respects, if you will, to the 2022 season. There were some pleasant surprises. There were some unpleasant surprises uh, when Texas went out to to Lubbock and and to Stillwater and had 31-17 leads in those games and came back with an L. But um, certainly uh, the the defense was uh, a huge storyline and there were some standout individual performances as well. Yeah, there were. And so, um, you know, obviously I think that offensive player of the year for Texas and honestly probably defensive player of the year for Texas – are a given. Bijan Robinson, no doubt about it, the 2022 Doak Walker Award winner is projected to be a first round draft pick as a junior coming out, a true junior coming out of Texas. There, I, I don't think we need to really go into it too much with him. Um, aside from it's been a it's been amazing to watch him and cover him, honestly. And then from the defensive side of the ball, I think Jalen Ford's probably the the um arguably the uh, consensus defensive player of the year for Texas chip. So aside from those two today, we were going to give some different type of player of the year awards out for Texas, including newcomer of the year, surprise player of the year, special teams player of the year, and then the coaching performance of the year chip. But anything that you have to say, do you disagree with the offense defensive player of the year? No, I mean, (laughs) John Robinson led the nation in yards uh, from scrimmage receiving. And I keep going back to his receiving numbers. Mm -hmm. The fact that he, you know, had 314 yards receiving, but averaged 16 yards per catch, which was the highest uh, yards per catch average among UT's top four receivers, you know, even better than Xavier Worthy. So um, I think Bijan Robinson and then, you know, based on the, the game plan uh, in the Alamo Bowl, um, man, there was, uh, you know, no semblance of a running game. So that tells you how 
how incredible Bijan Robinson and and Roshan Johnson uh, were this season in that you know they dominated on the ground, uh, especially toward the end of the season and wins over Baylor and Kansas and Kansas State, and then um, you know didn't didn't even really try to establish the run in the Alamo Bowl, uh, but yes to to your point taylor Bijan robinson i think offensive player of the year and you know jade baron might have a tiny case for um defensive player of the year but can't can't compete with uh the leading tackler the leading interception uh, the interceptions leader the force fumble leader and the fumble recovery leader in jalen ford so um yeah and and that uh i think that those those two are slam dunks. Yeah, and and like the the timing, I think a lot of times of Jalen Ford's turnovers that he forced were crucial. I mean, it's you know you in when the game's on the line, you want players to step up and make a play, and he seemed to be one that consistently did that. So those two are kind of a given. So we kind of decided to instead of doing the traditional type of you know player of the year recognition, we're going to go a little bit different since it was so uh, clear cut and and. I will say Chip and I talked about this before we started recording uh, the flagship podcast and we have different takes on every single position. So um, I think uh, the first one, Chip, you ready for the new, your newcomer of the year? I'm ready. I'm ready for my newcomer of the year. Drum roll. (laughs) Uh, Kelvin Banks. I mean, wow. You know, he, was the top offensive tackle in the nation in the 2022 recruiting class, but he was not the highest ranked offensive lineman in the country. That was DJ Campbell. But Kelvin Banks, if you read the insider, uh, you know, before the season started, I did a big takeout on Kelvin Banks about just how special this kid was uh, on his high school team, you know, taking you know, one of the weaker players on the offensive line and meeting him for lunch in his coach's office every day of the fall semester, just to build that kid up. And, um, you know, with the philosophy of you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that's, that's Kelvin Banks. I mean, he's, he's got the intangibles in addition to just the, the footwork, the handwork, the, positioning, the mindset, the confidence. I mean, we were sort of looking through our fingers at him facing Will Anderson and Alabama, and he dominated Will Anderson. I mean, Will Anderson didn't make plays in that game. He was so frustrated. He was called for a false start three times. And, and that was the signal that, wow, this Calvin Banks kid is something special. And every scout I talked to Taylor, says that this guy is probably going to be a three-year player and probably the highest, uh, you know, drafted offensive lineman at Texas since uh, maybe Mike Williams back in uh, the early 2000s. So uh, that would be my newcomer of the year, Taylor. How about you? Yeah. And I, and I, that's one that's definitely worthy of it. I mean, the fact, especially Chip, the fact that he enrolled in May, he was not an early enrollee. He enrolled, yeah, in May at Texas, went through a, the summer conditioning and secured that starting left tackle, tackle job and didn't just secure it, but played 
like I, I know he was a five star and everyone thinks five star they should be day one all Americans. That's just not how it works at any position a lot of times, but especially at offensive line. I mean, you know, I talked to Kyle Flood at the Alamo Bowl and I'd asked him if he's ever had to rely on two true freshman offensive linemen that and then let alone them like, you know, coming forward and having the type of seasons that Cole Hudson and Kelvin Banks did. And he's like, I've never had to be in this position before. But, you know, he he was a he was just a big time newcomer of the year for sure in a way that I think a lot of I think you and I were probably a little surprised of how how ready he was for the college game. But um, I'm going to give my nomination to that to a junior cornerback transfer from Ohio State, Ryan Watts. I think Ryan Watts was just that lockdown corner that Texas really needed this season. Um, I think, you know, I think he got a lot of attention for how well he played, but his play, I feel like also helped Deshaun Jameson kind of come along and maybe rebuild a little bit of confidence that he lost after having a little bit of up and down years, um, you know, in his upperclassmen years. So Ryan Watts to me, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to be bad in any way, shape or form. Um, but I don't know if I was expecting or had the expectations that he exceeded, you know, with the way that he played um, when he wasn't on the field, it was felt, you know, you go back to the Iowa state game when he wasn't on the field, even in the Alamo bowl. I mean, when he left the game, I feel like that was when Washington kind of started rolling a little bit. So when you have a corner that you can put on an Island and he continues to play consistently well, that's, that's like a defensive coordinators and the secondary coaches dream come true. And it's a nightmare, honestly, for offensive coordinators that are facing that. So Ryan Watts is my newcomer of the year this season. Yeah. He didn't get beat. You no. know, there was not a single play where he got beat deep. Mm -hmm. uh, when he was in man coverage, he, he just locked down the boundary side of the field, uh, four tackles for loss. This guy, um, you know, compared to Jade Barron's, uh, 11 tackles for loss. It's not, um, you know, as comparable, but, um, you know, he was a absolutely sure tackler. And when you can just take away one side of the field, it's, it's unbelievable. And, um, you know, he, he was dinged up in the Alamo bowl. He's going to be fine, but he, you know, had a shoulder stinger, uh, which he also had in that Iowa state game. So you're, those things can recur and that's, that's a bummer. He, it was, it was weird because he collided with a tight end in the Iowa state game. And then he collided with a tight end in the Alamo bowl. Uh, but you know, he's become, you're right. He's become one of the absolute, um, you know, cornerstones of that defense. And even Michael Griffin, who came on the flagship podcast before the season and said, I don't care what anyone says, that dude's a safety. Yeah. Came on with us at the end of the regular season and said, My bad. <laughs> this guy at six foot three and 200 plus pounds uh, can handle that corner position and did. And so um, that's a, that was a huge pickup in, in the transfer portal for. Steve Sarkeesian and the Texas Longhorns. Um, Sark's done pretty well in finding uh, quality, um, you know, players in the transfer portal. Obviously, Quinn Ewers, um, you know, for giving out transfer portal awards. Um, I don't know who's more valuable, Ryan Watts or or Quinn Ewers. I mean, 
and and I'm not trying to be funny there. I mean, Ryan Watts was so consistently good that you can make an argument. I mean, obviously the quarterback position is so important that everyone's like, oh, Quinn yours, Quinn yours, Quinn yours. Um, and Quinn, you know, I thought finished strong in the Alamo Bowl, but um, you know, that's how good Ryan Watts has been. He yeah, he just uh he answered the questions. Yeah, he definitely did. It, and, you know, Quinn Ewers is still a freshman. So uh, right. I think long term, we'll, we may have a different opinion on who was more valuable from the transfer portal. But no doubt Ryan Watts deserves this year, I think, the Newcomer of the Year award. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. All right. Chip, your surprise player of the year. Sorry, I kind of gave it away. I'll put it back. <laughs> My surprise player of the year. I will take the defensive side of the ball this time, Taylor. Jalen Ford. I mean, we knew from what we were hearing from team sources, from players, you know, when we were interviewing guys in fall camp and it, even at Big 12 Media Days back in July, who's a player who's going to surprise this year? Everyone seemed to say Jalen Ford, but you didn't, you didn't think it was going to be like this. You didn't think it was going to be 109 tackles, um, three forced fumbles, uh, you know, a couple of them at critical times, uh, you know, four interceptions that all seemed to come at critical times. The interception in the end zone against Iowa State that turned the momentum from the first half when Iowa State quarterback Hunter Deckers was getting getting hot and was driving for, you know, a double digit uh lead and Jalen Ford you know picks off the pass and and leads uh, that kind of spurs Texas's uh you know momentum in that game um and then the fumble recoveries you know Keandre Coburn with the big forced fumble at the end of the K-State game Jalen Ford jumps on it after he had the huge interception right before halftime that led to a touchdown so um that his game in you know, against K State, will probably go down as, um, you know, his marquee game. But it just—he's got a decision now, Taylor. I mean, he went yeah. from non-starter to should have been Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know why or how the 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 award went to, um. You know, Felix Aniduke Uzama from Kansas State, who hadn't had a sack in like the last five games of the season. Didn't he win but, defense alignment of the year, too? Yes. It was like, I feel like it was like a lazy, like, oh, he's been around. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Ford um, is is my surprise player of the year. I mean, we knew, we knew he was coming, but we didn't think it would be like this. How about you, Taylor? Yeah, with Ford, I never would have thought he would have a decision to make and a legitimate decision to make of if he wants to return or go to the NFL, not go to the transfer portal, return or go to the NFL. That's the decision he is Because facing. linebackers are like running backs. They mm -hmm. they have the head-on collisions over and over again. You don't you know, you only have a certain shelf life as a right. as a middle linebacker and that's why, you know, some agents are telling him, "Hey, go." now yeah. you know but anyway i digress yeah. taylor <laughs> your surprise player of the year my surprise i'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball and go with jatavian sanders uh the tight end i feel like 
you know, in talking with Jeff Banks, I guess one of the two times we've ever been able to speak to Jeff Banks, um, you know, he, before the season this year, talked about how, he, I mean, he said it in a PC way, but when you know what these coaches are like, essentially had to talk to Jatavia in the spring and be like, you're nowhere close to anywhere that we thought you were going to be at this point and you need to step it up. And he answered in such a big way, was one of the most reliable receiving options uh, for Quinn Ewers um, and, and also just becoming a complete tight end. I mean, uh, some behind the scenes here a little bit, going into the 2021 season, we were out at fall camp practice um, for a few days of fall camp. And Jeff Banks was working one-on-one -on -one with Jatavian Sanders while other tight ends were working with like an assistant, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, or like, I'm not sure who it was, but he took the time to like specifically go on the side and work solely with uh, Jatavian Sanders. And, you know, there was some, he was a really highly rated player, but still had never really been a true tight end. He was more of a pass catching threat in the high school level, also played on the defensive side of the ball. But for him to be, to just come along, not just as a pass catcher, but a blocker when he has been one that his only like, you know, skill was to shed blocks as a defensive lineman in high school when he would play on that side of the ball. I mean, it, it, he, in my opinion, was he had you you knew he had the the seal or you had the um potential no doubt about it but the way that he came on this year was such a surprise and a further testament to Jeff Banks and how valuable he is as a developer of tight ends a special teams coordinator you know recruiter everything i mean i think chip and i have talked to him uh you know um all the time and he deserves all the acknowledgement that we give him but Jatavian Sanders to me, um, I think he was my surprise player of the year. Yeah, at midseason, Taylor, he was one reception from being the leading receiver on the team. Um, he was he was that close to to Xavier Worthy and was having that good of a year. Um, and so and, and he he surpassed David Thomas's receptions uh record, right? In the in the Alamo Bowl for a tight end. You know what? I think you're right about that. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, David Thomas, I think, had 51 or 52 or 50 or 51, and Jatavian Sanders ended the year with 54. So now he is the program's, um, you know, single season receptions leader for a tight end. Yeah. And, and the guy, you know, remember when he came out of high school and everyone was like, man, we need him as a pass rusher. We don't have no pass rush. Now, yeah. everyone okay with mm -hmm. Tavian Sanders as a tight end? <laughs> you know, for a guy who really was a role player last year to come in and become a dominant mismatch player for the Texas offense the way he did was, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, it was a great surprise. And he's the first team all Big 12 tight end. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of impact he had. He everyone, you know, all the defensive coordinators knew and we got to watch out for that number zero because that dude can get down the field, um, but has really improved as a blocker as well. And that um, kudos again to, like you said, to Jeff Banks, because Banks, Banks is one of the best uh, every year that he's at Texas, Texas fans should say a, a thank you. Um, because Jeff Banks, not only is he 
a great developer of tight ends. He's the best special teams coordinator in the country and arguably, you know, one of the best recruiters in the country. So huge, he's had a huge impact on um, this program. Yeah. And other thing with Jatavian Sanders too, is um, I don't know if Horns 24 seven members saw this pop up on the message board during the Alamo bowl. um, But after Xavier Worthy had the back-to-back drops in um, the third quarter. Uh, I was sitting next to Jeff in the press box, and I was just kind of like looking through my binoculars, trying to see what Worthy's, you know, kind of um, demeanor was, I would say, on the sideline. So I was searching through, and all of a sudden, like, I kind of glanced back because I saw Jatavian Sanders just, I like, I don't want to use bad words, but pissed off. He was like, I was like, what happened? I didn't see like what had happened. I guess the broadcast team for the Alamo Bowl did talk about it on the broadcast that um, he was upset. I think with Xavier Worthy had to be kind of separated away. And Jeff Banks was the first one. I was watching this like almost like a weird stalker, like, oh, I want to see what's going on here. But Jeff Banks had to pull him aside. And I like that fieriness. Like Texas is losing one of the best leaders that they have in on the team and Roshan Johnson. And if you talk to people on, you know, the players, people point to Jatavian Sanders kind of being the next in line to being a really great leader. And you want your leaders to hold players accountable. And I I thought that was a very good spark to what you could put you would hope at least to see in the future from Jatavian Sanders. Cause um, obviously he, he cares, he cares about this team. He cares about the program. He cares about the outcome and he wants to hold everyone accountable. And I think that's that's a great sign for the future. Yeah, he is. He, you know, what stood out to me was his quote after the the Louisiana Monroe victory when he um he said, We have to have a great week of practice this week for Alabama because if if we don't, they're a team that could blow us out. Mm-hmm. And he for a first year starter. And a a guy, um, you know, who just had one good game under his belt as as a Longhorn, really, in that season opener. I just was like, whoa. Yeah. 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 Wow. This is is what I'm talking about. And every time we got a chance to talk to him afterward, he he just oozes that leadership. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you got to have you got to have players like Jatavian Sanders and it's, it's great that like you said, with Roshan Johnson moving on, you've identified another uh, rising young talent who's got some swag to him. Who's got some moxie to him and isn't afraid to, to go up to a teammate and say, Hey, come on, man, you know, we got to have it. And, Mm -hmm. and so um, Jatavian Sanders you, you came into the season, tight end was a question mark. It is now the first team, all big 12. Yep. So that's big time. Yep. The only other position Texas had one on offense was running back with Bijan Robinson. So <laughs> that. yeah. And they could have had Kelvin banks, but that'll be next year. Yeah. Yeah. Next year. All right, Chip, your special teams player of the year is. You know what? I got to give it. I got to give it to Roshan Johnson. Um, the, the enthusiasm, the energy that that guy showed, um, playing on four special teams, but leading the, 
leading the team in special teams tackles this season. You saw him running down, you know, always getting down on on kickoffs to to make a play. And the guy just plays with such exuberance and energy. He gives his teammates juice, but he gives the whole crowd juice with those big hits that he would make on kickoff coverage. And, um, you know, he just he just showed up play in and play out on special teams, in my opinion, Taylor. So um, Rojo, here's to you. <laughs> my special teams player of the year. How about you, Taylor? I am going to go with another offensive player, but I'm going to go with Keelan Robinson. I feel like he just was always consistently making opposing kickers get uncomfortable, which is exactly what you want to do. Um, he had, I can't, I was trying to pull up the stats. How many block? He had two, right? Two blocks. Yep, two. He almost had a third. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one he returned for a touchdown, right? Yeah. Or, no, he, he yeah. That, yep. I forget what he, he scooped yeah. it. He scooped mm-hmm. and scored it. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's electric and he's, he's Banks's designated assassin. Yes. Yeah. Because of that and- speed off the edge and, and then sometimes, you know, picking gaps for him to shoot through, to try to disrupt, um, the other team's punt unit. Um, no question that guy is, is a big time assassin on, on special teams. Yeah. And, and even Jeff Banks before the season had talked about Keelan Robinson, they felt like he, he's pointed to him being like, Oh, that, you know, watch out for him. And he was so good on special teams and they already had such a good running back room with B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson that Jeff Banks was able to essentially allow Keelan Robinson to just play loose and play how he did. And you saw it on the field. And so, you know, we heard that from Jeff Banks before, before the start, excuse me, of the, my allergies are killing me. So I apologize. I sound this way, but before the start of the 2022 season, he did say, he was like, you know, it's been great to have that, that running back room because it's allowed me to have Keelan Robinson and we can just set him loose, do whatever we want with him. And, uh, he, he, they did, and it uh, he answered a big way. So that's my uh, special teams player of the year. Yeah, and um, he had one blocked kick this year. He had one last year. He had um, he scooped and scored the uh, the blocked kick um, uh, earlier in the season. And that's right against ULM, I think it was. Yeah. So, yeah, he he was the guy that every uh every opposing punt unit had to account for. Yes, absolutely. All right, Chip. Your coaching performance of the year and if you listened to the flagship podcast last year, maybe surprised that Chip's about to have this one. So, Chip, yeah, who is it? I'm, I am uh I'm on uh I got my bowl of crow <laughs> and I'm eating it by the gulp full. Uh, because Pete Kwiatkowski, I was wondering if you had a doppelganger coaching last year um, with the way that the defense struggled. And this year, wow. I mean, after hearing about it and everyone questioning him and Gary Patterson coming in and, you know, the everyone was 
saying, oh, well, Gary Patterson is probably going to be the defensive coordinator by the end of the year. Pete Kwiatkowski put his head down and got to work and, and really brought Gary Patterson in mm-hmm. and used his expertise. You know, Pete Kwiatkowski told us at the Alamo Bowl that he was um, moving the coverage, pass coverage more to match quarters uh, before Gary Patterson was hired. And Gary Patterson is sort of the king of match quarters. And so by doing that and, and bringing in Gary Patterson, Kwiatkowski immediately had a blueprint for how teams were going to try to exploit that match quarters because Gary Patterson has seen how teams have tried to uh, attack his defense at TCU. And um, it wasn't perfect. There were games where players still struggled to pass off uh, the receivers from one quarter of the field to the next. And they gave up a couple of big plays, but um, man, for the most part, it was, you couldn't run the football consistently on Texas. And, um, and they, you know, they gave up a couple of, of big plays, the long run against Alabama, the, uh, you know, the pass play to Quentin Johnston uh, in the TCU game uh, and the Kendra Miller run. But for the most part, they really did, uh, you know, adjust well and, they they had a terrible first half against Oklahoma state in the third quarter. They just shut down the Cowboys and allowed uh, Texas to, you know, would have, could have, should have seized control of that game offensively. But um, yeah, Pete Kwiatkowski, I, uh, I tip my hat to you because I was worried. I was definitely worried in, in 2021 about what was going on. And he, he pulled it together and, this was a fun defense to watch. They they made plays. Taylor, who yeah. wins your coaching performance of the year? So I'm also going to eat crow, but real quick, you know, remember last year the run defense for Texas was god-awful. I mean, I think I'm pulling it. They finished 114th in run defense in college football. Texas is – and gave they gave up 20 – or 201.6 yards per game – 5.5 yard, 5.5, excuse me, yards yeah, per 5. carry. 5.2 yards per carry, second worst in school history. Yeah. And now they finish the season 30 at 33 in rush defense, allowing 125.7 yards per game. It's pretty dang good, especially considering how many times uh, teams ran the ball against Texas. So, and if you talk to Washington people, now that, you know, Texas played Washington, Talked to some reporters there. You, you know, I, I went over to our Washington site, uh, dogman.com, and saw some of the comments that people were making about Kwiatkowski. They all mi- they kind of miss him. And, and Washington has a pretty good defense, too, mind you. And they still were like, man, Pete Kwiatkowski, I, that's the one that got away type of thing. And that's how Washington still to this day feels about Pete Kwiatkowski. So for Texas fans that were kind of on the fence or think, you know, I still need to see more. Washington is still missing him, the fans and the reporters too. Well, and Texas led the nation in quarterback pressures this year. Mm-hmm. And after last year when no, there was no need to rush the passer because everybody just ran on Texas, yeah. um, it was a different story this year. So, yeah, yeah. kudos. Yeah. And before the season when we talked to Pete Kwiatkowski, when he was asked about the the pass rush, his where he cut the reporter off was like, what pass rush? Like he yeah. even knew, you know? And yeah, so 
that was definitely one. Chip and I kind of took this one as we're both going to eat a little crow on this because of some concerns that we probably had leading into the 2022 season. So for my coaching performance of the year, I'm going with Kyle Flood. And I want to say this, I didn't have questions about Kyle Flood as a developer of an offensive line talent or anything along those lines. I think that he is probably one of the best in the game as in coaching college offensive linemen. However, I was very um, skeptical about how good this offensive line was going to be this season with him having to rely on two true freshmen, um, you know, other uh, underclassmen, very, very limited experience on the offensive line. And I, I can't say enough about the job he did. I mean, my goodness, like I have to say that he this surprised me in the biggest way. And it's not because of any knock on him or even, you know, like me being like, oh, Texas has no talent at the position. They had talent. But offensive line is a position where you want the, you know, the more experience, usually the better they get. And so for him to be in a position where he is for the first time in his career relying on two true freshman offensive linemen and they performed to the level that they did, that is like tip my hat to you, Kyle Flood, because you proved me wrong. I have no problem eating crow about being skeptical. I have no problem being put in my place about being skeptical about how good this offensive line was because they played at a level that I don't think I definitely was not expecting. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I'm still a little miffed that Steve Sarkeesian didn't, you know, give that offensive line and Jonathan Brooks more uh, opportunity in the running game in the Alamo bowl, because, you know, people can say, Oh, you lost B. John Robinson, and Roshan Johnson. Blah, blah, blah. You can't run the football. No. Yeah, you can. Jonathan Brooks is good. And, and he deserved a chance to, Established the run, and so did this offensive line deserve a chance. You know, if you can run, if Bijan Robinson can run 32 times for 209 yards against Kansas State, and Kansas State is the Big 12 champion, um, then let that offensive line work for for Jonathan Brooks. The the hard part about a, a pass heavy offensive game plan is that you're you're putting your your big guys in in a backpedal mode. They don't get to punch first. They're they're taking the punch. They're absorbing the punch. They're trying to, you know, keep the the defense from. They're moving backward, trying to keep the defense out. And that, and then when you ask them to go run it, it, it it's tough. You you want to establish that run first. Let them fire off the line. Throw the first punch. Um, Texas, you know, the game plan didn't call for it. I'll 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 get over it. I'll leave it there. But. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, what kind of message does that send to this offensive line and Jonathan Brooks? Um, I kind of made that point uh, in our recap uh, podcast. I, I just would have liked to have seen him get a chance. But yeah, I no, agree I with you, Taylor. Yeah. Kyle Flood uh, came through in a big way this year. Um, Kelvin Banks, Cole Hudson, Hayden Connor is a first time starter this year that offensive line held up. Yeah, they really did. And and I think, you know, the other thing too, when you're talking about the Alamo Bowl performance, my guess with, with hearing what Steve Sarkeesian said after the game, that all along that was a game plan, they probably 
made it pretty clear to these guys, like, this is not any type of thing on you. This is the plan that we think is going to work best. We haven't had a chance to talk to Steve uh, Sarkeesian since that post game where he did say that. So it would be interesting to get his post Alamobile watching the film, you know, take on if he still thinks that was the right game plan or not. But, um, you know, I I agree. I, I was expecting more from to, you know, especially Jonathan Brooks. My guess is, you know, start going with Keelan Robinson because he's just been such a team player. And it's like, why not give him a chance, you know, to get that start and kind of be the the lead one. But yeah, that's uh next time we talk to Sark, we don't know, but we'll definitely get some answers on that for sure. Yeah, and Keelan Robinson was very productive in the in the passing game in that mm-hmm. Alamo Bowl. Um so, you know, I think he had the second most catches in the game. So um you know, he was he was used in other ways in yes. this uh, in this game plan that Steve Sarkeesian had. You want to talk to a little bit of Texas basketball before we get into the early enrollees? Stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, this uh, Texas basketball team remains number six in the in the nation. They're five and zero since the Chris Beard suspension without pay on December twelfth and won their first Big 12 game on the road at Oklahoma. And if you watch this game, it was fantastic. Both teams played at a high level. Uh, Oklahoma was hitting shots inside, outside. Texas was answering. Uh, Marcus Carr, another uh, big-time game. But Sir Jabari Rice and this guy, Taylor, it's unbelievable. He had not hit a shot the whole game. And then you get to the final five minutes and it's a, you know, Texas was behind and he makes the play of the game with two minutes left. He has this incredible up fake, gets his defender in the air, kind of leans into him, gets fouled on a three pointer, makes all three free throws to get Texas back into the game. Then he's, you know, scrapping for offensive rebounds. He got a defensive rebound. He hit, um, clutch shots down the stretch and made seven of seven free throws in the final 207 in a one point win for Texas. Texas was 14 of 15 from the free throw line. It was fantastic. They just, I mean, a veteran team uh, on the road, taking it from a, from their rival and, and answering every single time. I thought it was, I thought thought it was great. And, and this team, because it is a veteran team, it, you, you feel like they get it and they can carry out, you know, the game plan that uh, Rodney Terry is giving them, but still honoring the culture that was built by Chris Beard. And, and so, you know, I did a, little bit of a look at the five games in terms of the offense and the defense of Texas. The offense is up. They're shooting it better. They're scoring a little bit more, but their defense is also giving up a little bit more. Well, a lot bit more. They were holding teams to 37.1% shooting. And now uh, in the last five games, opponents are shooting 46%. Uh, Oklahoma actually shot better than Texas in that game on Saturday. And, and so Texas has got to, you know, get back to its pressure, forcing turnovers, leading with its defense. And, and I thought Texas did that in the second half against Oklahoma. So uh, kudos to this team and Marcus Carr's on fire. 
folks, let me let me read you these numbers. The last five games, he's averaging 23.2 points per game. He's shooting 54% from two and 61.8% from three. He had a 41-point game in there um, and has been outstanding, and it's good because Tyrese Hunter, the Iowa State point guard uh transfer is in a miserable shooting slump the last five games he's nine of 40 shooting that is 22.5 percent from the floor and he's four of 21 from three that's 19 percent he'll he'll shoot his way out of that but nice to have marcus carr on fire uh during that during that stretch so right and i think chip and our our uh horns 24 7 staff chat I think it was Texas A&M Commerce that you sent this on, but Marcus Carr had outscored their entire team in the first half of that That's game. That's right. <laughs> so he had, he had 33 at halftime, and yeah. A&M Commerce had uh, 29. Yeah. <laughs> so shootings up all around, apparently. Though, <laughs> but uh, speaking of Chris Beard, Chip, um, I think a lot of Texas fans are curious to hear. What the latest is, obviously, there's been uh, no official word from either the district attorney's office on the charges that he does have or from Texas other than the indefinite suspension. What's the latest on that? Yeah, I, I, I think the odds are still against Chris Beard remaining the basketball coach at Texas, but they did, you know, obviously his fiance came out with a statement, um, you know, right before Christmas saying, you know, that Chris... Uh, did not strangle me, and he may well have been acting in self-defense. Um, I do think UT officials are sort of waiting to see what the district attorney's office has to say about this, whether, um, you know, I mean, if if it, who knows, Taylor, and we don't know. The only two people who know are Chris Beard and his fiance. If, mm-hmm. you know, if if the DA decides that she misconstrued the situation or she was the aggressor um, and, you know, didn't strangle him. um, I guess there's a remote chance that Chris Beard could be back as, you know, Texas's basketball coach. I don't think it would be this year, Um, but you know, every indication I've gotten is that it's just, uh, you know, that police report, was too much to overcome that no matter what happened, there was some kind of altercation and that's just not a look that, um, you know, Texas is comfortable with for any of its coaches to be in a situation where, um, a domestic situation gets, uh, to that point. So, um, you know, no, no news yet, little surprising, but uh, mm-hmm. the Travis County District Attorney's Office, who I've called every day uh, since the um, since Randy True, Chris Beard's fiance, came out with their statement, um, clearly they have not made up their mind about how they're going to proceed on this at this point. And we're recording yeah. on Tuesday, January 3rd. So basically when Chip calls it the DA's office, there's like alarm sounding like, do not answer, do not answer. But it let's just say if the district attorney were to not pursue any charges against Chris Beard, wh- what do you think Texas does there? Do you know, is it kind of too 
too soon to speculate. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably too soon to speculate, but the more this plays out, the the more it seems like there's a chance that, um, you know, Chris Beard might be able to remain suspended for the rest of this season, you know, seek some kind of um, counseling with his fiance or whatever is going to happen with, with that relationship. I think um, Texas is trying to do its due diligence to make sure that there's not a rush to judgment you know, stranger things have happened. We've seen in cases, uh, in the past. So I think, um, you know, UT is, has talked to Chris Beard, uh, the Travis County district attorney's office is going to, um, interview everybody, uh, depending on what they think about the police report. And if they decide to pursue, uh, the felony, um, assault charge, uh, with or without the fiance uh, testifying. Yeah. And how long does that process usually, I mean, it's kind of, I feel like everything's kind of delayed and ever since COVID, honestly, but like how long typically would you say that process? Well, is? these are political situations and we've seen where cases get pushed, pushed, pushed. Um, and it, it can, it can be a year. Yeah. Um, before, you know, either a case gets, um, uh, you know, taken to trial or, or even, um, you know, a decision to prosecute it is made. So, you know, I don't, I don't have a great, uh, feel for Jose Garza, the Travis County district attorney, um, and, and what his, um, you know, it's, called the special uh, victims unit when they do a felony case. I don't have a feel for his special victims unit and how aggressive they are, or, you know, obviously this is a case where you could get some attention. Um, sometimes district attorneys, prosecutors like high profile cases. Um, and then at other times they don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, if it, right. if it was a misunderstanding in a, in, you know, I don't, I'm not going to speak for Chris Beard's fiance. I don't know her at all. Um, but if, if she misconstrued the situation and um, it, it, it wasn't as it seemed, then, you know, the district attorney's office is probably not going to pursue this because they don't want to try to make a case that isn't there. Yeah. And they don't want that stain kind of on their record too, because it's political for sure. All right. Well, that's the latest there on, Chris Beard, Chip, uh, you, uh, anything else you want to add before we get to love it or leave it? Nope. I think we are good to go. Okay. We're going to take a very, very quick break, but stay tuned because we have more Texas football talk and some previews of some early enrollees coming up in love it or leave it. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's do it. All right. My first one is love it or leave it. After addressing cornerback in the transfer portal, Texas should now be looking for a veteran safety. Well, I'm going to love this, especially if, what we were hearing earlier in the week about Jalen Catalan, the the safety from the state of Texas who went to Arkansas in part, uh, according to our man, Mike Roach, our uh, Horns 24-7 recruiting guru because Catalan wasn't comfortable with Tom Herman and Tom Herman's staff at that time. Uh, Jalen Catalan is a beast. Now, I know he's had injury issues, but the fact that he's in the portal um, – and, and if he's healthy, bring him on because, man, that dude could play uh, boundary safety with Jaron Thompson and it, and it would look uh, pretty darn good while we get Derek Williams, um, the uh, Raptor, the Raptor, Taylor. <laughs> Remember we had uh, Deshaun Jameson the Joker. and uh, or, the Kraken? Kraken, the Kraken, that's right. And then I said – the Kraken, he's like, no, man, no one calls me the Kraken anymore. They call me the Joker. Yeah. I'm the, like, geez, ah. you got more nicknames <laughs> than, a, than a Warner Brothers character. But um, still in the NFL, too. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sean Elliott, the Kraken turned Joker. <laughs> but how about Derek Williams, the Raptor? The Raptor. But, you know, he might need a year with, with Jalen Catalan in that room to help help bring him along. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to love this, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to love it too. I think, you know, Anthony Cook played a really crucial role this season in the the secondary after the move to safety. Um, it's kind of been a shifting role, I feel like, in safety uh, for Blake Gideon since he took over, you know, having to move um, uh, Brendan Schooler, you know, from receiver to safety in his first year. Then Anthony Cook goes from playing corner to the nickel to um, safety. So, yeah, I think, it doesn't hurt at all. And if a guy like Jalen Catalan is interested and um, like very interested, you, I think you take the chance on, on that, even with uh, any type of injury history. So yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to love that and say that safety probably could still be addressed. Um, just, and it's more TBD, right? There, there's talent on the roster. We just don't know what it looks like because it's right. been a shuffling. It it's been like a chess match, you know, of who, who goes where. Right. It doesn't hurt to have a veteran in the room. No, yeah. Helping to bring along the young talent uh, that's there. Larry Turner, Gooden, BJ Allen, uh, Derek Williams, we mentioned. So, yeah. Um, all right. Love it or leave it, number two. Second one is love it or leave it. The 2023 early enrollee you are most intrigued by is five star quarterback Arch Manning. Okay. I know everyone is intrigued with Arch Manning, and I I get it. But 
I'm still thinking he might redshirt in 2023. And there are impact early enrollees coming next week. In fact, we're going to be talking all about him next week. Uh, starting with the number two rated player in this class, my man Anthony Hill. Now, as excited as I am about Derek Williams, the Raptor, <laughs> Anthony Hill is like the dozer. I mean, this dude, this dude, I can't wait to see this guy in action. I hope he comes in with all kinds of confidence and ability to process and digest this defense and get after it because I love his film. I love his film out of high school. He's instinctive. He's powerful. He's He, he loves contact. So, Taylor, I'm going to leave this because – I'm continuing my man crush on Anthony Hill. How about you? <laughs> I'm also going to leave this as intrigued as I am, you know, about Arch Manning. I, I don't think that he's going to be, well, I would be, I'd be very surprised if he's a guy that you see consistently next year in 2023 for Texas or this year, I guess, my goodness, it's 2023 now, but uh, yeah, happy new year. There you go. But no, I'm going to leave it. And I'm going to say Jontae Cook, the uh, five-star or 24-7 sports composite five-star wide receiver. Um, just because I feel like the receiver room is still in flux a little bit, you know, and we have, we still haven't seen what Isaiah Nayer is, is going to be, what he is going to be after he had that ACL injury at the, I think like after the first week of fall camp. Um, he was a guy that was coming along, but still it's still a to be determined situation. We don't know what's going on with Jordan Whittington, if he's going to return or if he's going to go to the NFL, I feel like it changes daily. And that's why we're not really reporting anything definitively, not because we don't know it's because <laughs> literally it changes. It seems like on like a, a, any hour could potentially change. And Xavier Worthy is kind of a little bit of a question too. I feel like you know, I'm not sure what what his future is, if it's going to be at Texas elsewhere, just because he's been so mum. And when asked at the Alamo Bowl, you know, he didn't say for certain that he was going to be a Longhorn. The wide receiver room, there's talent there. But I really want to I, I really think that um, Jonte Cook is in a prime position to come in as an early enrollee and possibly secure um, at least turn heads, if not secure some substantial playing time in spring football. So I would go with him for the early enrollee I am most intrigued by. And we will have plenty more previewing of the early enrollees next week on the flagship podcast when the guys are actually enrolling on campus and moving in. Yeah, 16 early enrollees, more than half mm -hmm. of the 2023 recruiting class. That is great news for the UT coaches. and. Um, and so, yeah, we'll get into like DeAndre Moore, another receiver in, in the early enrollee group. But I agree with you, Jonte Cook, man. You watch his film. That dude is a deep ball threat. His, mm -hmm. his video is one deep ball after another. He's got that ability to make guys turn the wrong way and look silly and kind of like Xavier Worthy and – and let's see what Jonte Cook, how comfortable he can be as a freshman because, um, you know, Xavier Worthy did everything right as a freshman, learned the offense, knew all the nuance, um, had a big-time year and fell off a little bit this year. Obviously, you had a first – really a first-time starter quarterback. So 
you hope that connection grows and and uh and prospers with Xavier Worthy and Jonte Cook, but yeah, Jonte yeah, Cook's coming. For sure. All um, right. All right. Love it or leave it number three. Last one. I'm not sure if you saw the video, but a video went viral of Steve Sarkeesian yelling at an Alamo Bowl, I guess, staffer. I'm not sure exactly who the person was um, after the person kind of shoved Sark like this. You know, if you're watching on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, like held him back a little bit. Before the start of Alamo Bowl. So, love it or leave it, Texas fans should be outraged after a video of Steve Sarkeesian screaming at an Alamo Bowl worker for touching him went viral. I I think uh, I think they should want him to apply that passion and energy to the Texas running game going into 2023 without His play calling. Come on, <laughs> where's the, the tenacity in the play calling? Right. <laughs> yeah, there's two ways to look at this. When you're in a tunnel getting ready to go out and serve like gladiators, I think the Texas players love this stuff. Yeah, they were laughing. You could hear it kind of like, like, oh, like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly Sark was pumped and was ready to to get on the field. And, you know, I've heard players say that they can't stand it when, and I think it was an ESPN person who was trying to time everything just right. And, and, you know, there are some teams that are like, no, we're, we're going out on the field. We don't care. Um, you know, so it's, to me, it's kind of much ado about nothing. I get it. He looked really, really intense. And he dropped some, you know. Maybe, maybe a few F-bombs. You maybe could, a few F-bombs. If you're a mouth reader. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't shove the guy. He didn't yeah. punch the guy. He just said, don't touch me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave this, Taylor. How about you? I'm going to leave it, too. And I say this as somebody that, I don't necessarily like being touched. Like, it's okay if you want to like be like, oh, you know, like nice or whatever. But if if somebody is touching me in a way where they're trying to move my my positioning and where I am standing, I don't know if I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't say, you know, don't effing touch me, you mf'er maybe i would though i don't know depends on the day i don't know because i i just i really don't like when people put their hands on me and and try to move my position so i kind of was like i saw that and i was like I, i'd probably have the same reaction if not similar reaction so no i i don't think you should be outraged um football's a, a passionate game coaches are passionate people you know, you've seen Sark in the tunnels before Texas games where he's like jumping up and down, amping up his players. That's the last time that you want to try to like be like, hey, can you follow my lead here? Stop, you know, and let me let me push you back a little bit here. That's yeah, you're asking for it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, don't poke the bear. That guy poked the bear and I didn't have a problem with the bite that Sark had. So I'm going to leave that too. Yeah. All right. There you have it, kids. Happy New Year. Um, don't touch week. Sark. Don't touch me. <laughs> That's basically right. what we're coming to, right? right? <laughs> don't, don't get in my space. Yeah. <laughs> um, next week, we will be talking about the early enrollees and that unbelievable number of, of kids who will be on campus next week, including all four five-star players in this 2023 class. Um, it will be a loaded show. You don't want to miss that. So uh, everybody, thanks for listening 
to this New Year's kickoff episode of the Flagship Podcast. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.